0: Well, good evening, Redeemer. Glad to be here this late evening, and good to see some of you have um, come over and join us with the worship this evening. Uh, Let's just pray uh, as we begin here. Heavenly Father, we pray that our eyes of the heart be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance amongst your holy people, and your incomparably great power for us who believe. So show to us today that in your word, for it is in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's not often that you find people who are well-advanced in their age in a city like ours. Uh, Whenever we meet them, uh, it makes us feel that life on earth just didn't begin with us. Uh, They have a lot of things to say that is even relevant for us today, even though we have technologically advanced and have much to do these days. when, When you hear them, They have a lot of wisdom that makes a lot of sense for our lives today. I tend to think about uh, some of the conversations that I had with my grandparents as a kid. You see, they valued uh, a lot of other things than what we value today. They thought a lot about the family, the extended families, the heritage, their cousins, their near relatives, and the ones who are even uh, the second cousins and the third cousins even. I recall uh, that some of the stories that they uh, tell us when we were children, uh, especially about uh, a person from this family or that family. In those conversations, Uh, One aspect that stood very clearly for me was the word belonging. Uh, The belonging a person has in the family and the corresponding implications thereof. For example, I would hear such and such a person is from this family and they tend to show uh, this particular trait. So the Kumar family will have a particular heritage and they will show a particular type of a character. The Jada family uh, may have a different heritage, uh, so be careful of them. Which family you belong to uh, made a lot of difference, especially in terms of the character of a person who comes from that family. Now it's quite possible that A person from X family, uh, despite the heritage, would have done extremely well, and that would have been a rarity. It is also possible that a person from a great heritage uh, would have done bad and brought shame to that family. I wonder uh, whether as Christians, uh, we thought about our heritage and our belonging. Where do we come from? What is our heritage? Where do we belong? And what does that mean even? So let's deal that uh, one by one. And if you want to follow the points uh, through this passage, I want to highlight three points this evening. First, remember your condition before your salvation. Remember your condition before your salvation. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, before we even begin, as good students of God's word, you would have noticed the word therefore, uh, which, remo- which refers to something that was said before that uh, particular verse. If you look at the book of Ephesians, much of what is said in the first three chapters is laying a foundation for Paul to exhort the church, how to conduct in the church, uh, which he will say in the next uh, few chapters down uh, from four to six. And as we look closely in our passage in chapter two, what we see Paul is portraying is a dramatic change that happened in the life of a believer. Verse two, Chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, highlights some former plight of the unsaved man. They were formerly enslaved to the world, devil, and the flesh. But the remarkable mercy of God gave them a co-resurrected and a co-exalted life with Christ, And now, more specifically, from verse 11 onwards, he would address the Gentile believers corporately. Look at verse 11. What were they called? Well, they were called uncircumcision. You see, the Jews used this as a derogatory term to refer to the Gentiles, who stood apart from the covenant of God that God has made with Israel and his chosen people. Circumcision was an important marker that God established as a symbol of his covenant with his people. But it later became as an identity marker for Jews. It had even become a potential threat uh, to the message of the gospel. Uh, We see that in uh, the book of Acts chapter 11 or uh, 15 or even in Galatians chapter 2. And in the midst of this confusion, the apostolic teaching brought clarity. You see, what Paul is doing here is that he's deliberately trying to keep the symbol in its place by saying that it was just done by the hand, made in the flesh. In fact, for Paul and the apostles, the removal of the flesh from the body is not very important. What counts more important is the removal of the karma nature from the heart. You see, even in the Old Testament, Moses would say the same thing. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, here it reads, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. And Paul would echo the same thing in the book of Romans that we study now. He says, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Or he would say the same thing in Galatians chapter 5, where he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So in an essence, circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't count. But it is also true that the Gentiles in Paul's days were physically uncircumcised, but also in their heart. And to add to that misery, they were derogatorily separated by Jews by calling them uncircumcision. Not only that, look at verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now let's look at that one by one. First, he says that they were separated from Christ. You see, the term Christ or Messiah means the anointed one. The Jews expected the anointed one who was a king would come and sit on the Davidic throne and rule. This is an expectation of the Jew. This anointed one will restore all things, deliver his people from their sins and bring consolation to Israel. And they were waiting for his coming but missed him completely when he appeared. But as to the Gentiles, they were not aware of him. They were not seeking him. They were not expecting him to come and rule over them. They were completely separated from him. Second, they were alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel. You see, the Jewish people would affirm their allegiance to Shema, the worship of the only true God. And they would commit to the governance of Torah, and they held on to their status as God's chosen people of God. But not the Gentiles. They had nothing in common with Israel. The Gentiles, in fact, did not belong to the community of the people of Yahweh. Third, and they were strangers to the covenants of promise. The Gentiles were neither aware nor bothered by the covenants that God had made with Abraham or David concerning the future blessings of his people. They were strangers to the covenants that God made with Israel, which they hung on to. Fourth, they were not having any hope. You see, the Gentiles did not have an objective hope of a better state of the affairs of the world or a better righteousness in life or even the hope of life after death. Even if they had, there were no grounds for certainty of life after death. Life on earth is simply accepting the misery without any hope of better future or living in wanton pleasures. Fifthly, they were without God in the world. Now, it's true that the Ephesians were not necessarily godless but they were polytheistic but they were without the one true and the living God when compared to the Jews now think for a moment the state of a person who then now comes from outside of the Jewish community to their community now these people pride themselves in their ethnic identity and even condescend to those who belong, uh, those who do not belong to that community. Obviously, they would feel alienated, derided. Uh, they will experience no belonging. And there is no promise and no hope and not the same God. What a misery would have been for such a person who would have come into the midst of God's people at that time. He would have felt alienated, a stranger, or wondering where did I even come? See, there's a word in Hindi called ajnabi, uh, which uh, which means stranger. It's also a word that is with variations used in Arabic, Farsi, and Urdu, complete stranger. Such was the state of a Gentile who came into the midst of Israelites. Brothers and sisters, think for a moment corporately here. That's just who we were too. Uncircumcised in the heart separated from the Messiah, alienated from the belonging that the Jewish people had, strangers to the covenants and promises that God made to Abraham and David without hope and without Yahweh. On top of that, individually, we were dead in trespasses, following the course of this world, following the the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out desires of our body and mind, and by nature, children of wrath. I met people groups who claim their identity but behave like the Jewish people in Paul's days. They create barriers for those who do not belong to their community that others may come to Christ. Now they have their own set of group and they act parochially, they force their identity and build more barriers. Is that you, my brother or my sister? Remember, God reminded even the Israelites, Like this, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they did not welcome the Arjanibis in their midst, and they derided the nations. Christians, let's not become like that since we too were strangers, remember your condition before your salvation. And as you think about that, my second point, rejoice now in your current privilege in Christ. Look at verse 13 to 15. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Just when he thought about the alienation and the lack of belonging and hopelessness that had left the Gentile in the midst of the Jewish people, What does the scripture say about their salvation and their current privilege? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, irreconcilable, irredeemable, lost and separated from the commonwealth of Israel, you now have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the God of the Bible is in the business of drawing people near to him. That is why Jesus said, that when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. We've been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. That great sacrifice, when our sinless Savior was crucified, his blood was shed and he died the death that we deserved and cleansed us from all our sins. We've been brought near to Yahweh reconciled with him. Now there is no longer any hostility that stands between God and us. The wrath of God has been completely satisfied. We have now peace with God. You would remember, as Pastor Dave preached earlier in chapter 5 in Romans, this verse, therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our peace. Not only that we have peace with God, we have peace with one another. Look carefully, 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. God, who made peace with man through the blood of Jesus Christ, is now making peace with the Jew and the Gentile in order that there exists one new humanity, which is devoid of separation and enmity with one another. Hear that again. God in Christ is now making peace between one another in order that there exists one new humanity that is devoid of separation and enmity. What do I mean by that? Allow me to digress a little bit from our passage. Uh, Let me ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 10 for a moment, Genesis chapter 10. You see, the book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. And in this book, we frequently come across a phrase uh, that is called, these are the generations of. These are the generations of. And you will see that here in chapter 10 also. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. This chapter is right after the flood narrative. God starts anew with Noah and his sons after the flood. And in chapter 10, we get a table of nations which indicates the repopulation of the world. But I want you to draw your attention to verse 5, 20, and 31 verse 5, 20, and 31. These are kind of the concluding verses that details the sons of Japheth, Ham, and Shem. But notice in those verses four words that repeat again and again. Land, language, families, and nations. Land, language, families, and nations. And hold that thought for a moment and see what follows in chapter 11, the story of Babel Tower, which talks about the scattering of all the people. And this chapter, in chapter 11, gives us the reason why the people were divided and scattered. Although there is unity of the tribes and the nations from Noah under God's blessing in chapter 9, There are divisions and language barriers because of their disobedience, as we see in chapter 11. You see, God is opposed to their sinful unity and collusion against him. God is not opposed to unity, but God is opposed to their sinful unity. And he scatters them. And this then sets the stage in chapter 12, verse 1, which reads, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him, And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, what we find here is the reversal of the curse in chapter 11. You would have noticed that three out of the four words that earlier that I pointed uh, appear again in that promise to Abraham. Land, families, and nations. And God further goes on to say to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, that Abraham would become the father of all nations, giving us the future promise of unification of all mankind into one family because of the blessing that Abraham would receive from God. In short, in Abraham shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now you may ask how. God then formed a nation through Abraham's family and called Israel. God appointed this nation to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, to mediate God's grace to the nations. They were to commit themselves to worship of Yahweh alone and to live an obedient life to the commandments that He gave. But Israel failed and instead became like the nations as we read in the book of Judges and the narratives following in the Old Testament. Does that mean that God's promise to Abraham failed? No. Will the nations be united and be redeemed and be blessed? Oh yes. God, though Israel failed, brings forth a new Israel a servant Israel a servant whom he is delighting in as we read earlier in chapter 42 of Isaiah he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law Yahweh has called him in righteousness he will take him by the hand and keep him he will give him as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And as we read further into the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke reminds through the words of Mary, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Jesus, towards the end of the gospel, says that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And this happens in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of the Lord comes down on the day of Pentecost and Peter preaches... And there it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, and there were devout men from every nation who were listening. And in the following chapter, Peter reminds his fellow countrymen that God would overlook their sins if they repented and reminds them of the promise to Abraham, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Listen to what Apostle Paul, talking about righteousness by faith in Romans chapter four, referring to the same promise to Abraham. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on the grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the other end of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. What more can we say when we look at the closing book of the Bible, where we read in chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 9, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see, God won all nation as his people. You often look at Our church, when we gather together and wonder, why do we have all these nations here? Is God doing something amongst us? Oh yes, through his servant, Jesus Christ. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and made us one new humanity, the new humanity called the church. It is why we earlier sang the song, elect from every nation, yet one over all the earth, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. Redeemer Church, rejoice. Rejoice that God has called us together in Christ. He has made a way for our unity. He has abolished the law. Of the commandments expressed in ordinances and created in himself one new man in the place of two. Christ came, brought peace, and through his servants he preached peace. Therefore remember your condition before your salvation. Rejoice in your current privilege in Christ. Thirdly and lastly, consider therefore your calling in God's household and behave accordingly. Consider your calling in God's household and behave accordingly. Look at verse 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, we are no longer aliens or ajnabis. We have been brought near. We have been bestowed a citizenship And state as equal as Israelites. And what does that mean? Well, let me say three things from that four verses down there. First, be saints in the household of God. Be saints in the household of God. This means that, church, we are called to holiness. You are to seek and pursue. Holiness in your life. Pray to God that he may sanctify you, make you holy saints, make you more like Jesus Christ, that he may give you the grace to resist sin, that it becomes a natural habit for you. You might have heard people say in their anger, hey, don't act like holy. Holier than thou. Let me say what the Bible says to you. Be holier like thou. Apostle Peter in 1 Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am Holy. You see, Israel's failure was that they became unholy like the nations instead of a priestly and a holy nation mediating God's grace to the nations. But church, you and I are called to that new role of royal priesthood, a holy nation mediating God's grace to the nations. Therefore, perfect holiness in the fear of God. Encourage one another to pursue holiness in their life. Paul later in this very same book in Ephesians has various exhortations to that extent. I don't have time for saying all of that, but let me highlight a few things here. Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 onwards, it says, don't live like the unbelievers, giving yourself to sensuality, greediness, or practicing impurity. Chapter four, verse 25 to 30, speak truth to one another. Do not let sun go down on your anger. Do not steal, but do honest work. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Do not slander or no clamor. Chapter five, verse one to 17, no sexual immorality, covetousness, no foolish talk or crude joking. Walk as children of light. Do not get drunk with wine. Be filled with the spirit. How to conduct yourself in the household? Wives, submit your husbands as church would submit to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church. Children, Obey your parents, honor your father and mother. Masters, do not threaten your servants, and servants, submit your masters. Redeemer Church, we are not pagans anymore. Stop accepting the world's standards and its demands. We are expected to have a godly conduct because we are now belonging to God's household. Remember earlier I told you, my grandparents would tell you, tell me that if you belong to this family, behave as one. Therefore, if you belong to God's household, behave as one. Your belonging has definitely a bearing. You have been brought to his household, bestowed with privileges. Therefore, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. Number two, be built on the word of God. Old Testament and New Testament, prophets and apostles, both of them, that points to Christ, the cornerstone. You see, there are many advantages if we are building our souls in the word of God. Individually, that benefits a lot for us. But corporately, corporately, if we are built together in the word of the Lord, it has got a distinctive advantage. That is our unity as church. You see, Christian unity in the church is the unity of our faith. It comes by being built on the word of God together. There cannot be a unity amongst us without the unity of the word of God. And therefore, Paul calls them to unity later in chapter four, like this, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, and what does he say? He says about the things of the faith, that there is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to one hope, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And Paul goes on to say that for this very purpose that God has given to his church, its leaders, its elder pastors, teachers, and evangelists, who will teach them? so that they are being constantly built together in the word of God, not tossed around with every wind of doctrine and be scattered in different directions so that we can have maturity to the full stature of Christ. Friend, therefore, rather than giving excuses about your hectic work and business and so on and so forth, find yourself time to be part of a community group or an equipping class or a Bible study, or a formal study that is offered in your church. Invest time in studying the word of God and raise your children in the knowledge of our Savior. And as you do these things, you are built together in the word of God that your spiritual callousness will not increase. And their unity comes in our church. Third, be joined together to become the dwelling place for the Lord. Look at verse 21 and 22. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we are now being joined together. Those who were far away. We never knew many of the people who we met here in our church. But now we have been called together as a church. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, gave us a belonging. Why? So that together we can become the temple of our living God where he is pleased to dwell by his spirit. You see, God desires always to be amongst his people. Right from the Garden of Eden, those sin separated Adam and Eve and God had to send them out of the garden. Later, he told his people to make a small tabernacle and he would come and dwell amongst his people only separated by the, the veil, the, the curtain. But then later in the New Testament, we also read that he that was in the beginning, the word, he became embodied in the flesh and chose to dwell amongst us. Although he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, he sends now his spirit to come and dwell amongst us. In our hearts individually and corporately in our church. That means God through his spirit dwells in our church. Let the watching world therefore look at and say, behold, the radiant church in her midst, God dwells. And if God were to dwell amongst us, think how careful you ought to be revering this assembly of God's people. Think how ought you need to give priority to your local church. Yes, be committed to it. Seek the good and the growth and the holiness of your fellow brothers and sisters. Be built together in the word. Be built together so that it becomes the dwelling place of our living God. But you can't be so concerned about the people who are in that church or this church when your own brothers and sisters need you here. Labor with them as you see Christ formed in them day by day. Find ways to serve in your local church. Different ministries would need you here. Host people in your homes. Open your homes to community groups. Give generously to the work of the gospel in this church. And as you do these things, you are being built together so that it becomes the sweet dwelling place of our great God. Therefore, church, remember condition before your salvation because you are a people that God brought near through Christ and his blood rejoice in your current privilege in Christ because you are a people that God reconciled with himself and with one another and gave you a belonging together and consider your calling in God's household and behave accordingly because you are a people that God wants to dwell amongst. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us as a church. Thank you for the many people who have labored over these years in this church. Thank you for the privileges that we have in Christ. Maybe as your people, be mindful of the great calling of being your household where Christ can dwell. And it's in Christ's name we ask. Amen.